Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture. I'm Robert Bound. Today, the winner of the 2022 Booker Prize will be announced, one of the most prestigious literary awards in the world. First presented in 1969, for 53 years, the prize has lavished winners with international publicity and boosted those all-important book sales. But those years haven't gone by without upset and scandal, and of course, a truly Herculean effort from judges expected to whittle down all of those entries into a long list, short list, and finally to decide on a winner. In 2006, one judge was said to have suffered from temporary blindness as a consequence of the amount of reading expected of the judges. It could be something else, of course. On this week's show, we'll be drawing back the curtain on literary prizes, what they mean for writers and literary agents, and what it's like to be a judge on a major literary award. We'll be asking whether, in the era of book talk, how prized are literary prizes. And I'm joined today by Claire Conville, co-founder of the literary agency C&W. Between them, Claire's clients have won or been nominated for nearly every major literary prize in the UK. And I'm also joined by Monocle's books editor, Georgina Godwin, who's also part of the panel of judges for the Bailey Gifford Prize for non-fiction this year. Welcome both to the programme. Nice to have you here. Thanks for tittering along to that masturbation joke in the introduction. (laughs) Who wrote that in? (laughs) Claire, I'd love to come to you first. Where will you be... When the, the when the winner of the Booker is announced this year, will you be behind a sofa at the awards dinner under the table? Where will you be and how will you be reacting to that news? Sadly, I won't be at uh, the dinner, but <laughs> I will be tuning in to social media and the radio. I don't have the television and it's very rarely broadcast now on TV and waiting with bated breath to see who's going to win. I have my favourites, of course, Yeah. Uh, but I haven't read the whole list yet, but I will try and aim to do that by, by, the, by November. Georgina, we just set up in the introduction that you're on the judging panel for the Bailey Gifford Prize for non-fiction this year. How many of the sort of long-listed booker books have you kind of got round to reading? Given that I've had to read <laughs> sort of 90 and We're plus. not judging, by the way, here. I'm just out of interest. Um, unfortunately, not, not a huge amount. I have obviously read Glory by No Violet Bulawayo because mm-hmm. she's a Zimbabwean and also she appears on Meet the Writers. And I've also interviewed uh, Shihan Tilaka, The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida. So he's the Sri Lankan writer. And as I say, both of those interviewed on Meet the Writers. So those, I'm ashamed to say, are the only ones I've read because I've been reading for the Bailey Gifford. But tonight I will be at the Roundhouse for the dinner with bated breath waiting for, for that announcement. And I'm very excited. I mean, selfishly, of course, I want it to be no violet because of our Zimbabwean connection yeah. and the fact we've been mm-hmm. friends for a long time. But there are some very, very good books on there, aren't there, Claire? I agree. I agree. And so, Claire, from your point of view, I mean, when this happens, when the envelope is opened and the winner is announced, even the shortlist has a a great boost on sales, I understand. How exactly does that translate into sort of like a boost in sales? As an agent, what does that feel like? What are the tactics that you assemble to kind of make the most of that? Well, once you've got over your hangover, you uh, (laughs) get on the phone (laughs) to all the literary scouts and international publishers who, if they haven't read the book, should be reading it and hope to make sales in different territories around the world. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was very lucky once to have a Booker Prize winner, and I think in the end we sold his book in 43, 42 languages and 43 territories. That felt like an incredible achievement for a book that was in many ways quite a challenging an unusual novel. And this was DBC Pierre. That was DBC Pierre. But I think also, obviously, the next call is to the, the publishers themselves who are kind of getting into gear, sort of doing a massive reprint, 
planning how they're going to sort of publicise and continue to market the book all the way up until Christmas, because obviously that's it's the big, the big Christmas market. And I think it is a wonderful kind of signifier for the quality of the work. I think it's wonderful for the author. And I believe in prizes. OK, well, that's good. Yeah, because they are a funny thing. I mean, a lot of people at this time of year also in the run up to and especially the day after the announcement, not to sort of not to rain on the parade of the, the winner, but a lot of people grumble. Well, not, you can't do this about books or art or culture. This isn't the right way to be doing it. As someone on a judging panel, do you sometimes feel that any of your fellow panellists, Georgina, even feel that when you're trying to sift the kind of sheep from the goats in terms of the non-fiction that you're judging this year? Mm, I mean, I think it is very difficult because you're not judging like with like, mm. you know. I mean, yes, it's all non-fiction, but, you know, for instance, on, on the long list, we have, say, non-fiction about colonialism and violence, and then you've also got a book that's about the very gentle life of a country doctor. Yeah. You've got a memoir of somebody recovering from heroin addiction, and then you've got a lovely story, and I say lovely, it's deeply affecting, about the Rwandan genocide. So, I mean, you know, there's there's really no way to equate them in terms of subject matter but I think good writing is good writing and that shines out whatever happens but you're also looking for something that's going to be engaging I mean it it doesn't matter if it's beautifully written if it's just ultimately the subject doesn't (laughs) is dull but good writing will make that subject fascinating I've read so many things that I just didn't think I was that interested in and the writing has been so luminous you just want to absolutely read it to the end do you know even before we selected for the for the long list. There were books where I started reading and I realised that actually they were never going to go through to the long list and you're so short of time because you've got so much to read. So once you reach that decision, you're really just meant to put the book aside. But so many of them were absolutely compelling. I mean, you know, who knew marine insurance could be so exciting? (laughs) (laughs) Man alive, I need to... We need to write down a list of the the not-quites for our listeners at the end of this. So are you judging line by line or are you judging kind of on the on the sort of general feel of a book are you trying to sort of find a gap that needs to be filled as well in certain respects i mean you know you've you've given us some heavy subjects there in the bet for the bailey gifford this year as well as some more sort of i don't know whether they're exactly cozy but sort of closer to home kind of things that, that you know yeah. i mean is that what you're, you know, I, mean, I guess it's a consideration for some of the three yeah i mean last year's winner was empire of pain uh, mm-hmm. the patrick run keith book which was all about the sackler family and the whole addiction of the united states to these yeah. painkillers yeah. and it was a very necessary book I think it highlighted an issue that people really needed to know about and I think that that's quite important but I'm not sure the other judges necessarily agree I I think that that we're looking for an important book but we're also looking for a book that is beautifully written Uh, and and, and that really is at the heart of it you want to find the best written piece of of uh, non-fiction from any nationality uh, covering, covering anything at all but it is all in the writing, and I and I think I think my fellow judges are probably right to disagree with me that it doesn't have to be uh, issue driven. That you're not necessarily looking for a, a gap in the market. I mean, there are a lot of yeah. books around uh, that the same. We got a huge amount of submissions, for instance, around Russia, uh, and it seems everybody is kind of writing that at the moment. Uh, it'll be interesting to see next year. There'll probably be a whole f- f- lot on Ukraine. I mean, obviously, publishing is 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 behind behind the 
the, the slightly behind the, the kind of time frame, but only <laughs> yeah. just, I suppose, yeah. in a way as well. And Claire, I mean, you you obviously know a lot of the judges on the, on 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 the on the prize panels, and you kind of know what sort of thing swings and what sort of does what sort of thing doesn't. Obviously, when you get a brilliant new manuscript in from an excellent novelist, you know what as to use Georgina's phrase, is luminous and really kind of comes off the page. But what are your sort of tactics, if there are any, for submitting well, to prizes? You have to, I mean, A, it's not my decision. Well, it, I mean, I also uh, work with a small publishing imprint called Cheerio, and we will be submitting um, to you know some fiction for the Booker Prize next mm. year. But as an agent, you have no control, and publishers actually are very private about what they submit and how they submit, because... Otherwise, they get every single agent in London saying, why aren't you doing this and why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you doing the other? There are always books you believe can make the shortlist. I mean, you know, I felt I had a book this year which I could have made the shortlist, but sadly it didn't. It's such a strange process. There are so many variables. I mean, alongside, you know, an impassioned group of people looking for the, you know, a piece of great writing, there's so many variables taste kind of experience preferences and I have many authors who've kind of been on on literary prize panels and they're quite interesting about the process they can't give very much away but they will often say it's quite complicated often not necessarily the book that everyone loves is the book that wins sometimes compromises have to be made Mm. so I always emphasize with my authors just to be on the shortlist is a fabulous place to be and yes of course it's great to win but really you are in the lap of the gods I think in a way. I think you're absolutely right in terms of when you look at different panels and the the way those personalities interact with each other it can get down to very personal things and then of course there's problems because I interview so many authors I know so many of them so with a lot of these books I actually had to recuse myself and say I can't be the first one to read this book if the rest of you read it and think it can go through then I'll read it at the next round but you know this person is my friend and gotta gotta step out the room for this one. And that's and publishing is very, you know, publishing the, the world of letters is a very small world, isn't it? You know, writers know each other, writers know publishers. So you have to be very thoughtful and careful, I think, about the process. Mm. I think judges also have to, I mean, I had an author who had a, dif- a difficult time with a, a judge of the booker who came up and sort of praised his book to the skies. And I think he thought he was in with the chance for the shortlist. And of course, it didn't make it. And I think that was... Mm. Poor thinking, in a way. Yes, yeah, you have. You know, you can't kind of you can't use the power, and it's and it is a very powerful position. It certainly is. But also, as as an individual judge, you you as you pointed out, you might think it should win, but that necessarily <laughs> isn't the case. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that you said I'm in favour of prizes. That's good. That's what we're talking about today, Claire. But um, few. <laughs> well, she, some people and she are. smashed over the microphone and went and left the studio. I can believe it. Um, not the first. I mean, it seems it's the perfect distillation of the industry, which is about great creativity and commerce, I suppose. And it's a sort of, it can't help but be a celebration of that. Am I barking yeah, up the right I also think that? we've got to realise, I mean, I work in a busy environment, mm. you know, people buzzing around. I'm on the phone all the time. I'm talking to all, all sorts of publishers and international publishers and film and TP and whatever. An author's life is a lonely one. Mm. And, you know, it's long periods of sort of wrangling with the art beast, you know, lots of ups and downs, unless you're very, very lucky. Lots of ups and downs, lots of ripping up material, lots of sort of, alongside the enormous highs, quite a lot of despair. So 
Yes, sales are great. Yes, lovely review coverage is wonderful mm -hmm. because it kind of it reflects the inner outer world reflects your inner inner hopes. But at the price is really in a way the icing on the cake because it's really gosh it was worth it. You know, I just recently read Empire of Pain, which I thought was magnificent, and as my daughter read, she said it reads just like a novel, and I think that's what was one right. of the, its features. But I mean. The work and the research for that book, I mean, the legal the legal stuff alone must have been literally a dining room table, you know, piled six feet high. And so to receive a kind of, you know, a, a serious prize on the, at the end of that work really is a fantastic reward, I think. As you say, you, you've um, stewarded um, a novelist to a, to a Booker Prize, DBC Pierre. I'm sure he's been on this show. I'm sure he's been on Meet the Writers as well. He has, and he's yeah. a great person at winning prizes, I'd have thought. I mean, one of my favourite ever lunch with the FT was him because you now everyone always just has a glass of kind of Tizer nowadays, right, on that, <laughs> on that feature. Whereas he's a fun person and he must have been a great person to steward through that process and seemed like he really enjoyed it. Yes, Does that I think make it was a difference. Yeah, you? I think it was complex. I think. Most people enjoy prizes. I mean, mm. I think Douglas Stewart, who a colleague represents, I don't represent him, mm. but he won two years ago. I think it was utterly unexpected. You know, it was a first novel, a bit like Pierre's actually. Mm. He has another job, or has another job. You know, he works in the sort of fashion industry. And I think it was an incredible journey for him. And I think he loved it. I think he learned a lot. I think it was a challenge. And he enjoyed it in a different kind of way. I think, in a way, for Pierre, it was a bit of a shock, actually, because <laughs> yeah. it was yeah. such an unlikely... Well, it's book. a debut novel. Yeah, it? exactly. Well. Yeah. But he has a new book out, which is under Claire's new imprint, so Cheerios, this new publisher that yeah, she's yeah. actually started, and Pierre's new book is fantastic. What I most remember about it, though, was that Claire held this incredible launch party for it at the Academy Club, where we all played drafts. <laughs> no, backgammon. <laughs> backgammon, I beg your pardon. Backgammon, very important. Um, talking of which, is this how things get decided at the gritty end of a panellist discussion when you have to basically almost toss a coin for who's Play going to be the winner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, who is, who is who's winning last? Who's leading last, I suppose? Well, it's we like any race. Yeah, in, in this particular, in the Bailey Gifford, we haven't yet got to that point. We're still, we're still wrangling How are over. relations Relations are fine, actually. <laughs> They're very cordial and we have a, a fun <laughs> WhatsApp group, so we yeah. keep in touch with each other. <laughs> yeah, but we haven't yet got down to the real nitty-gritty, which is, you know, we're still at the reading for the for the shortlist so there's 12 books you've got to know inside mm. out and back to front if you want to back them so I'm now sort of on my second read through and I haven't gone blind but that's none of them are particularly erotic <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there was a medical term associated with I think it was Candy McWilliam for that prize I don't know what it is sort of a question for you both but Georgina I'll ask it to you first so from the judging point of view is judging fiction and non-fiction are different things I mean you're judging as you said with the non-fiction prize you're you're thinking about the issue that is being addressed by the book as well as the brilliance of the book. When it's fiction, it's a story's a story in a certain sort of way. There's certain things that people love things about, certain people, there's certain subjects that you just don't like, even where they're fictional things. But is it, I'm going to use the word easier here, lazily, but is it slightly easier to judge non-fiction when you've got... Or is it slightly less easy because you've got you've got the personal interest of the subject matter and the quality of the writing rather than a novel which can you can and should just take you anywhere? Yeah, I haven't actually judged a, a large non-fiction prize. I've done various short story prizes. My friends who have tell me that non-fiction is easier and 
uh, certainly you're learning everything and you don't get bored of it. I imagine that that once you know the plot, you know the plot and you're just kind of reading it again. Mm. It very much is the quality of the writing. But in non-fiction, I mean, I'm ju- there's just so much, so many details of, of, you know, wonderful things that you would just never have come across. And, and actually, I find on every reading, you're deepening your knowledge, you're understanding it more, you're seeing the, the depth of the research, the quality of the writing. So the answer to that, in short, Roth, is I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it was set, my, my lazy question set you up there, I think, rather, didn't it? We've talked about winners and what it can do to, to sales and things. In terms of numbers, what can that do? What can a, a book go from until? I mean, with a, with a debut novel um, like DBC Pierre's, Claire, that obviously went from sort of naught to 100 very, very quickly. Yes, I think, what, well, interestingly, what I suppose... When it was shortlisted, suddenly you thought maybe we could sell 30,000 copies, 40,000 mm. copies. And then when it won, I think in the end it sold about 750,000 copies. Douglas Stewart has sold well over a million co- copies. Mm-hmm. Shaggy Bain, he's our other Booker Prize winner. I know that other novelists have fared less well, but even maybe selling... 75, 100, 150,000 copies, particularly in today's market, is a real achievement. So, yeah. But some books tend to seem to take light, or, you know, post the Booker Prize. And it's the same with the Women's Prize as well. I mean, so, you know, there, there are some years where that a book will just be a sort of runaway bestseller and there are other years where it's very nice sales, but it's not quite at that phenomenal level. Mm. And so it can vary. It's not it's not a guarantee of kind of, you know... No, indeed. I'm yeah. piling them high in Tesco's, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, we're talking mostly about, about the Booker and the Bailey Gifford, but as you say, the Women's Prize, really, really good prize and absolutely mm. necessary for women. So many other prizes, though, and, uh, along the way, and very sad to see that some are actually now yeah, shutting. Yeah, I mean, the cost has just gone. Yeah. And, I mean, I think the Women's Prize is really interesting because I, I was kind of thinking about them. They do quite a lot of out reach they do podcasts they do recommended reading lists they support new writers who may not have sort of easy access into that world and I think that outreach has really proved incredibly valuable to them because they're kind of really engaging with the wider world it's not just about you know sort of lovely books that people like to read it's Mm -hmm. a sort of bigger brief and I think that's really keeps them kind of in the public eye Mm. it keeps them kind of fresh it keeps people interested that they are looking for new readers you know they're not just relying on publishers to find new readers they're looking for new readers and I'm very impressed by them but I think there are all sorts of interesting prizes, like the William Hill Prize for Sports Writing. You know, I know there's a specialist prize for translators who are always under, undervalued yeah. and, and do very important work. We haven't talked about the Nobel, which is obviously a hugely influential yes. prize. But interestingly, it doesn't necessarily have huge impact on sales, but kind of puts you up in a sort of on Mount Parnassus, you know, so you have a different kind of Because the, yeah, the Nobel the Nobel Prize for Literature, the winners of which are often, it often feels like it's a, a kind of lifetime achievement award rather than a, this is the best, the, the last the last thing you did was the best thing that anyone's done that year or in that sort of period of time. Yes, I think that's The Bob Dylan's of this world and well, the, the last Bob winner Dylan, was the didn't... Austrian, um, an Austrian sort of playwright and novelist. I suppose they're probably... You go down to your local water stones, you're not even going to find something by some of those people. I think, also, all I can say is I think, you know, yes, Booker Prize Dinner, lovely, but I think the Nobel Prize 
weekend <laughs> is pretty spectacular. <laughs> and I, just for the fun of that, I think everyone's in sort of top hats and tails and There's I think there's splendid yeah. dinners and parties and sort of... I think it's a real... I think it's a fun week, let's put it like yeah, that. What was that. What was that film about the Nobel Prize weekend? It's, it's really good, um, yeah. It's Jonathan uh, Price and um, yes. Glenn oh, Close. Yeah. And he and she wrote his novel essentially, but and he he's wins the, he's that. The, that's right. I didn't see the. It's film. really good. I must see it's that. It's really yeah. good. What's it called? I don't know. Shall I Google it? Should we Google it? It's it's really good. But also, I think poetry prizes are interesting. I mean, poetry mm. is such a hard road to travel if you're a poet. So mm. even a small poetry prize, and you know, maybe it's. I mean, we Cheerio support a, the Poets Prize with the White Review, and you know, it's a small amount of money, but. You know, it is a focus, recognition, a sort of an achievement. So I think as much as we love the big prizes and all the sort of hullabaloo that goes with it, we must remember the value of the small prizes and how that can really give joy to an aspiring author and someone who's working hard but not necessarily kind of on the front table yeah. of Waterstones. The film is The Wife, and interestingly enough, it's written by Meg Wallitzer, who, again, mm. has also been on, on Meet the Writers. So has her 90-year-old mother, <laughs> who's also written a book. Uh, but <laughs> but Meg has won loads of prizes herself and has, has set this in Stockholm where they go there. And, it's yeah, it's a great film. You should watch it. I must watch it. <laughs> we'll have to leave it there. Thank you both very, very much indeed. And, Georgina, thank you for the cross-promotion of Monocle Shows there. Um, <laughs> you obviously noticed that we failed somehow to write into the introduction. <laughs> Meet the Writers is available on monocle.com. <laughs> Claire and Georgina, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Georgina Godwin and Claire Conville there. And now we turn to the practitioner themselves. Apart from the commercial reward, to what extent does a literary award validate the work of a writer? Well, I'm now joined by Eleanor Catton, whose second novel, The Luminaries, won the 2013 Booker Prize. And in doing so, Eleanor became the youngest author ever to win that prize. Eleanor, thank you so much for joining us on the programme today. I'm going to kick off with with the most obvious question, kind of. If I were interviewing you as a sports person after having just won a World Cup or something, I'd say, how does it feel? And (laughs) it was a few years ago, but the, the glow of the Booker Prize or a Booker Prize win must have a nice afterlife. So can you remember on the night how it felt to be amongst all these luminaries and yourself celebrating a novel of the same name? Oh, yes. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me on. Um, yes, yeah, uh, so nice to talk to you. Gosh, I, I remember it in a kind of a haze of terror, really. I remember um, getting into the taxi to, to drive to the the guild hall on the night. And we were all kind of frocked up and wearing tuxedos and, and all that kind of thing. And the taxi driver, I was sitting in the front seat and he leaned over and he said, are you, are you all right? And he pointed at my hand, which was holding the handle, kind of with white knuckles. <laughs> he was like, "Are you trying to? Are you trying to leave this vehicle?" I remember it as a, a kind of a weirdly stressful time because, of course, books can't, in any meaningful sense, be said to compete with one another. It's kind of a, a ridiculous idea. Once you finish writing a book, it's usually a year or so before it kind of comes out into the world. There's a very long lead time. And in the meantime, any number of other people might write books that you have no control over that kind of become the context into which your book is born. I mean, it's a funny thing to feel stressed out about because on the one hand, the stress is very real. The rewards that come with a price like that are, are pretty huge in terms of enlarging your readership and your 
your kind of career opportunities, I suppose, your exposure as a, as a writer. But then on the other hand, there's not really anything that you're doing in a competitive sense. You're not competing. You're not like an athlete in, in any way. <laughs> yeah, I suppose once the book exists, it's out there in the ether. It's, it's on all the judges' bedside tables, I suppose. It's, it's doing the only job it can do, and you're doing the only job you can do, which is maybe think of the next project, I suppose. What, however, did it allow you to do, winning the booker? I mean, it opens up presumably some opportunities in terms of sales. It's a lovely sticker to have on your book at airports and, uh, and bookshop tables across the world. But does it allow you more than that? Does it change the scope of the sort of book that you think you can write? I think it did for me. I mean, it, I, I was very young. I was 28 when it, when it kind of all happened. I just turned 28. And so the next couple of years, I was pretty much constantly on the road up until I was about 30. And then I <laughs> had a kind of minor breakdown <laughs> and, and, and gave it all up for a while. And so, yeah, just the sense of responsibility that comes with it, I suppose, the sense that people are listening is often, I mean, it was in my experience, it was a very sharp turnaround from, from what I had expected prior to that. I mean, I, you know, if, every writer kind of goes into their career knowing that their publisher has taken a chance on them and that they, they're, kind of, they're just kind of crossing their fingers that everything will work out. And with something like the Booker Prize, it, it really turns your fortunes around in this, in this very major way it's a hard question to answer in a way because in a sense nothing changes in that that you're always responsible to your readers enjoyment and edification <laughs> in terms of the material reality of the of the job of writing a good book not, nothing at all changes if you win a prize or if you don't I think that the kind of superficially it does feel like um, you've been handed a, a, a bigger megaphone um, and that can be a quite a treacherous feeling I think <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's one of those things that I guess the flip side of that is that what does it stop you from doing I mean it, it's not like you're going to do a luminaries part two necessarily but does it does it sort of push you in another direction do, do the kind of media demands on your time mean that actually putting pen to paper again took longer than you might have done after winning the prize oh that's an interesting thought I had a, a kind of an unusual reaction to it I suppose I mean, or, I mean, this might not be unusual, I'm not sure, but I found that period of being in the limelight, even to the extent that I was, um, very disorienting and um, alienating. And I actually um, kind of turned to screenwriting <laughs> almost as a way of trying to find a way to write as, a, um, as part of a team. I really sought out more collaborative ways of working as a kind of an antidote to this feeling um, very much marooned <laughs> and, and, and uncertain on my own. I think one thing I found, I found very difficult about it, but this might be peculiar to my nationality because I'm a New Zealander. I was born in Canada, but I, um, the luminary is, is, is set in New Zealand and, and kind of about New Zealand history in a lot of ways. I found the particular pressure from New Zealand at having suddenly kind of become this kind of spokesperson for my country and this there was this requirement that I would then paint paint my country in a good light and kind of be a be a kind of a brand ambassador for I mean whatever a country is <laughs> whatever a nation is I found that a very a very uncomfortable mantle to wear and 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 really really kind of chafed against that yeah I think it's an interesting thing you mentioned coming from a country which were you the first New Zealand-born um, novelist to, to win the Booker? And suddenly you have to represent uh, the, more than yeah, just the, the book, yeah. more than just yourself. 
Right. Yeah. I think. I think that again, it's. I mean, just as the books can't really be said to compete, I think that the idea that that books, you know, they they can't really be treated as sports teams. So that 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 just it's a it's an idea that doesn't really make any sense. Um, that a a degree of subversion and re- rebellion and kind of um, you know, just wanting to make trouble is is mm-hmm. <laughs> is an essential part of any um any fictional project. I think. And just finally, Eleanor, um, we've talked sort of talked about both sides of the coin, I suppose, of winning a literary prize like the Booker. Was it nice, though? I mean, the Luminaries is such an expansive, expansive, wonderful book, and and a big book. You obviously spend a long time on it. it was there something simply lovely to, for it to be recognised after having spent a lot of time on your own with your laptop? Let's just say, in, in the writing of that book, so much time and the thought in the thought of it and putting it together that it was just lovely to be recognised publicly for something that you did privately, or is that too simple a way of putting it? Definitely, it's, it was such a relief because you live in such terror when you're inside a book, especially as a book that's growing in its manuscript form. You know, the the bigger a book is, the the greater the the demand you're placing on the reader, so the better it has to be. Uh, that, that that was always my my feeling about it. So I was I was very nervous right before the book came out that it would um, that it would kind of earn its keep and find its audience and so on. And and so I'll I'll be eternally grateful for the Booker Prize for helping that to happen. Eleanor, thank you so much for for joining us. It was really lovely talking to you. Thanks for being so honest and generous um, with your answers about something that is not not as simple as as it may seem to some people yeah. who are praying oh, praying for that that envelope to open with their name on it. <laughs> thanks for talking. It was really fun. And that is it for today's show. My thanks to Georgina Godwin, Claire Conville, and Eleanor Catton. Monocle on Culture is produced by Sophie Monaghan-Coombs and Steph Chungu, and Steph also edits the show. We'll be back at the same time next week. But until then, from me, Robert Bounds, thanks for tuning in.